Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. On a recent episode, we heard about fly fishing for rainbows with Dennis Goulding and another fish to target over winter, of course, is pike. And pike on the fly is becoming increasingly popular. For this week's episode, we wanted to find out more about the tactics, the species and why fly fishing for pike isn't just for Christmas either. And so we spoke to Marcus Muller, an advisor to the IFI and a pike fly fishing aficionado, as well as Bodo Funk, the well-known pike guide based in Boyle County, Roscommon. And Tom, before we hear from Marcus and Bodo, uh, just curious, have you done much pike fishing yourself? Yeah, uh, years ago I used to do uh, a fair bit of pike fishing. The last couple of years I haven't. And I got kitted out to actually try a bit on the fly because the only time I have tried uh, for the pike on the fly, I actually didn't have them, didn't have the kit myself. And I have the kit and it's kind of, you know, these back to our little bucket list. Uh, it's a thing I, I'd like to try uh, myself now that I, I have the kit first. Um, where would you do it? Oh, like any, you see, this is one of the things I was asking the lads. I mean, where would you do it? I mean, there's, there's plenty of, there's plenty of pike around the lakes here. There's plenty of, uh, there's plenty of places. It's it's open everywhere, so it's a, it's a matter of finding any place. And that was interesting. Why, when we get on to why I wanted to talk to the guys about how they go at it. I mean, have you ever tried it on the fly? It's a bit of a tradition. I used to go out um, over Christmas onto Loch Derg, um, lure fishing um, for the pike. <laughs> it's tough conditions. It's like, or Christmas. Like right. around Christmas, around the Christmas where someone I'd be yeah. off for a couple of days. I'd always kind of, I love that period between Christmas and New Year. It's mm. that kind of downtime and it's it's always a great time to, I find, just get a bit of headspace and back off things. And I'd always take one day off to go fishing. And yeah, the last few years I'd go to Loch Derg and uh, TJ's in Killaloop. Um, TJ, if you listen, hello. Um, he's a good man <laughs> bringing you out on the boat. Um, so it's the kind of southern um, so the part of lockdown, right down, yeah, down the Killua side, yeah, yeah, exactly, and uh, fabulous. Like it's actually somewhere I'd love to um, try for brand trout, um, but TJ's always telling me as well, like because I come in the winter when it's bloody tough, and this is what in yeah. fairness, what you'll hear from Marcus and Bodo, and it's interesting that we kind of, and even the fact that we're doing it, oh, it's winter, let's turn to pike, but the reality is, it's you know, it's a tough time if you're starting to to pick it up you know um you know to try it like if you're going to do it properly do it you know in the kind of spring summer kind of when it conditions are better it's easier to find the fish easier to get to the fish i thought that was very interesting all right chavs pertinent point yeah exactly but like but then like we said the only reason probably why a lot of game anglers turn the pike in the wintertime is because it's the only thing they can really fish for you know well apart from the rainbows but you know what i mean in terms of the lakes and the rivers like well um, it's a bit like what we said when we were talking to De- dennis goulding it's you know, probably the only time a lot of guys only tried the small water fisheries. Yeah, you know. There you go. There you so, go. I have to say though, um, and I was actually I've been out river fishing for pike as well, um, and on the now that was on the fly, uh, and I have oh, to say I did enjoy that. Now, um, you're kind of getting them, you know, kind of jack size, um, but what I loved about it was seeing them follow. The fly, yeah, like, and yeah. like just it was just, and you're you're pulling, you're stripping the, the mm. fly in, and you just see it, and then oh, he's gone for it, like, and it's uh, that's a lovely thing. It and there is something I know winter can be tough and all, especially I find on the lakes. Um, but I find if you're on the river, at least you're moving, you're kind of walking, you're casting, you're Keeping moving. Warm. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And yeah. I just think there's something magical about walking across the fields if it's a frosty crispy morning 
yeah the sun yeah. and i love that low light from the sun coming up it, yeah there there is something magical about it and i can do you know what i'd love actually speaking of winter time i'd love to try grayling fishing i know this is completely off topic um but again i think of the river i think of that kind i of was going to say but it was <laughs> kind of off topic off topic but yeah just when you said winter the frost and everything it does spring to mind but uh we we don't have them so you gotta you know <laughs> that, that's not so yeah yeah <laughs> but um yeah uh, look it's i think in fairness the marcus photo thing i think there's a lot to learn um a bit like with dennis there's a huge amount of information in this i was just going to say the exact same just you took it from there because you know i learned a lot from dennis but um as, although i suppose and here's the thing for me with dennis i i i expect to learn but i didn't expect to learn that much it's just but i, I do know it's outside that um Small water fishing is outside my comfort zone. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sprout fishing, but it's outside my comfort zone. But like it was great to listen to the guys because I really picked up a lot there, like on what you need to go at, what you need to be at, uh, you know, what you need to be doing. Uh, it was really good. And it was actually interesting when you asked uh either of them, you know, separate questions, but they both came back with more or less similar answers. Yeah. You know, they're Singing off the same hymn sheet, really. Yeah, exactly. But like for anybody, if you're looking to start out, if you know you're interested, if you've done it before, there's a, there's a huge amount to learn, and um, they're both very experienced um, pike on the fly anglers. And as, as we slag them off later in the episode, it takes two Germans to come to <laughs> Ireland to tell us about yeah. how to catch Irish pike on the fly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I, and I didn't realize was how big it is in Europe. You know, they, I know they've Xander and but like in Scandinavia mm. as well, the pike, it's it's it is actually a very big thing over there. Um, well, I think for them, the, the lads touching it there, like in Germany, it's considered it's it's the, it's their biggest sport fish as such, you know. Yeah. And, and they touched on wells, the catfish, but while while wells probably is bigger and everything, I think the, the pike is more uh prevalent throughout there, and it's you know, it's attainable for all of them, and in Germany, it, it very much is. It's it's you know it's their premier sport fish. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Like when you think mm. of it, like compared to here, how it's how it's perceived, you know. Mm. Now I think it's probably changing, but it's always going to be down the pecking order. It's always going well, to be suppose, down the hierarchy. You know, I mean, well, I suppose salmon probably. I mean, and I say, as a trout man, but and what do I say? I say to you, salmon, because salmon is recognized looked upon here. It's it's the kingpin. It's the one. It's the one up at the top. And like even in our in our own, you know in our own heritage, like the, the salmon of wisdom. Salmon means so much to us from when we're growing up. So I suppose, and it's probably, it is looked upon as our premier premier sport fish here, I suppose. But you know, there were the absence of that in other places, you can see why something like a, a fish the size of the pike could, um, you know, take over that mantle. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And look, I think it is something that is growing in popularity. Um, Maybe try, try it in the wintertime if you're interested. Um, for those of you who do get out, love to hear any stories you have um, for it. But do also have a go later in the year, you know, when maybe when it's less less difficult, you know, and it's not as cold. Um, <laughs> like the Michelin man. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But look, I tell you what, let's hear from um, Bodo and Marcus now. And I first asked Marcus about the rise in popularity of fly fishing for pike in Ireland. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely here um, in in Ireland, but but also on the, on the continent. And uh, like yourselves, uh, when you're avid salmonid angler, salmon trout, um, sea trout, um, the season finishes in well early October. So what to do then if you're kind of a fly addict? And pike is just an ideal 
target ideal species. It extends the season back end, but also before the real trout fishing kicks in early in the year. So for me, it's, uh, it's a fantastic game fish and it really extends your fly fishing year. And what about you, Bodo? How did you get into it? Like, cause you're primarily, you're, you're pike. That's it, isn't it? That's your bag really, isn't it? Yeah, I'm pike full stop um, in my personal fishing and also in my guiding. But more and more so the pike fly fishing and pike fly fishing guiding has uh, been on the scene over the last uh, 10, 15 years. I probably started maybe close to 20 years ago, very basic, and then it took off from there. And the last like I said, 10, 15 years, it would have increased the hell of a lot. And now it's a, a steady part of my guiding business, really, that I'm getting fly anglers from all over Europe or, or further away to come to Ireland for pike fishing and, indeed, pike fly fishing. Bodo, just, just what you said there, you've seen an increase in the amount of lads coming pike, uh, targeting the pike on the fly. What would you say the percentage is at the moment and has that grown much? In my personal experience, in my business, in my guiding business here, and then we obviously we, we have a, a full angling business, including B and B, etc. Um, probably, well, it's not fifty percent yet, but won't be a million miles away from it at this point. You know, I have regular guests that come, and some of them come twice a year, and they fly only. And so, yeah, it's, it's growing all the time and I, I anticipate it to grow more. And like from, let's say, when you started 15 odd years ago, uh, what was the percentage then like? Uh, a lot smaller, a lot smaller. Like, yeah. So you've got, a, you've got an occasional base fly fishing, maybe. Um, somebody looking for it could have been local, even could have been an Irish client um, or somebody who wants to just try it, maybe who's booked you for a week and who just wants to try it. And now we have dedicated guys coming, like they're either fly only guys or they just want to do fly, be fly only when they come here and want to catch big, big pike on the fly. That's the attraction, I guess. Marcus, can I ask you, because obviously with your role with the IFI as well as you, like, and recently, you know, you had a, a journalist come over. So, you know, you were kind of hosting or so, showing them around. Um, I get the sense, and Bodhi, you can come in maybe after Marcus on this, is... Um, Europeans seem to appreciate the pike fishing more over here than maybe Irish people. Or correct me if I'm wrong, but is the kind of reputation of Ireland as a pike destination certainly one that's held in high esteem? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when you imagine um, Ireland, uh, well, got on the map originally on the continent, specifically in Germany, um, because of its pike fishing. This is what, what brought Ireland on the map um, in, in the first place. And there is still this fantastic reputation. And um, with regard to an increase in, in fly fishing for pike, uh, we, we do see it here because we are, we are uh, dealing with uh, international journalists. We are getting a lot of queries in and, and queries with regard to fly fishing for pike. They have substantially increased over the years. In the beginning, it was just niche, very niche. And, um, there's, there's, there's two groups. There is the, the likes of us, I may say, who are uh, fly anglers and have kind of, yeah, kind of uh, realized that there is also fly fishing for pike. But you also get the, the conventional fishermen, the lure anglers who say, oh, hold on a minute. 
let's try out the fly rod. So there's these two groups uh, we have identified, but definitely like Bodo said, I'm not sure if it's 50%. Now with Bodo, I guess, because he has really specialized a bit in fly fishing for pike. So the fly guys know him. So they book with him. If you're talking to other uh, lodges or guides, it might be different, but it's definitely on the increase. And Bodo, are you seeing it like definitely as a destination for Europeans? It's Ireland is like, and do you think it can be developed more as a pike destination? Um, it definitely is already a, a big destination among European anglers, and uh, rightfully so. I mean, the product is still fantastic. And yes, of course, it can be developed more, and it doesn't have to be confined to Europe. I'm getting clients from further afield and getting a few Americans from the East Coast because they've they want to fly to Canada, it could be further away than Ireland for them. So that's what's happening there. But they're not necessarily fly clients, but who's to say that shouldn't happen? I mean, it can be promoted more, and arguably it should be promoted more, um, just as long as we look after our own, um, after the resource and after the fish and after the fishing and everything else. Why not? It's completely sustainable. And and is the attraction then, Bodo, for, for people that are visiting, is that uh, is the size of fish? Is it location? Is it quality? Well, like compared to, for example, give us a comparison. Is it like in, in Europe, where would, where could you do pike fishing um, comparatively so? Well, well, to be honest, in Europe, you could go to quite a lot of places to pike fish. And a lot of people do. And there's some spectacular places uh, all over Europe. But Ireland still holds its own. And we have a... a Beautiful country here and wonderful scenery, wonderful people, friendly people. Still all the old attributes stand stand out. Like, you know, people love coming to Ireland. It's not just the fishing, but it'll always be amongst the reasons. And um, so, like, it's it's the package. And if you ask people that come here, and, and my, my guys, and if I chat to them in the evenings, like, they always say it's, it's everything around the fishing. It has to be the fishing on the, on top of the list, but everything around it as well. Without that, they probably wouldn't come here. They might go somewhere else. So it's it's the whole package. Bodo Bodo hit the nail on on the head there because um, this is also what we hear. Uh, you may have a great fly fly fishing for pike experience in in Germany itself. The Baltic, like the Bodden waters, they are world class fisheries. Or Sweden, you know, you get fantastic pike fishing in Sweden. You get perfect accommodation there right at the water's edge. But what anglers tell us a lot, what attracts them to come to Ireland is the package. It's basically the full experience. It's the hospitality, the crack. They are meeting people. They are part of the community. And and, and it's not necessarily the, the size of the number of fish. But saying that, uh, there's one thing that stands out. And a lot of people who have come here for the first time and hooked a pike, um, even on conventional tackle or fly, they are really, really <laughs> amazed of, they, they say, oh my God, this must be a meter fish. And then when it's in the net and it measures 75 centimeters and say, oh my God, that fish fought like mad. And it's this, I think, Irish pike, for whatever reason, they are airborne, they are really active, and, and they give you a, a big fight. Uh, wouldn't you agree, Bodo? Absolutely, yeah, and, and, and people confirm that all the time. Um, yeah, they're supposed to be amongst the, the best fighting pike in the world, and now I haven't fished in a whole lot of countries, but I've tried a few, and I, I could confirm the same, absolutely. Do we know why? It's probably because 
our waters here, uh, you know, they don't really cool down like in other parts of the world, you know, so pike are more active even during the, the, the colder times and they feed more. So that could be it's just metabolism, maybe. I'm fascinated, guys, just with, um, and, and Tom, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this as well as the kind of the pike as the kind of lurking, evil, you know, that kind of, it, it, even the language associated with pike, you know, you think of salmon, salmon of knowledge, the leaping salmon, it's graceful. You know, you think of the trout in terms of, you know, they're, you know, rising for the hatches, all that. And then the pike is like the monster. And I think there's something about that that either appeals to anglers that they look, or I'll actually turn them off and go, do you know what? And traditionally, Tom, I'm interested in your, Irish anglers would traditionally have looked down their nose at pike. Is that true? Yeah, well, you know, they would have, you know, the, let's say around here, like trout is, trout would be considered, you know, the fish, you know, and I suppose it it depend on an area, whereas in like, it was just like, whatever is the most, whatever is the most endeared fish to them. And in Carb, like here in Carb, it would be the trout. You go back, you go back to the West Coast rivers, it's the salmon, you know, and that's, and that's to people, that's what the fish is, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, primarily in an area like this, it's, you know, people prefer the trout. And Bodo, how are you finding it, like, in terms of where where do you, you know, guide in terms of kind of, is it the kind of Roscommon area that's where pike are very strong up around the lakes around there, is it? Yeah, I'm, I'm based in Boylan, the county of Roscommon, and, and, and my fishing would be in Roscommon, but also because we're in North Roscommon, close to County Sligo, close to County Leitrim, so it'll be in all of those three counties and even sometimes further afield. If you go down the south of the county, you'll be crossing into Westmead and Longford. Um, yeah, but like the Shannon system, which is big, obviously the biggest river in the country and all its tributaries and lakes connected to it. And it has, uh, thankfully, a large population of pike in it. And um, if we look after it, it should remain so, and and and, uh, and that's the attraction here. So that's probably the the the, the number one fish. How do the communities, Boto, just in those areas, how do they regard the pike? Do they they do they you know respect it, revere it? You know, like are they glad that it's there from a fl- from a fishing perspective? Um, yeah, more so now for sure. That has changed, I think, over the years because pike now. Also within Ireland and amongst Irish anglers, has gained its own status, and, and there is quite a large uh, Irish pike angling uh, fraternity. And so, it, yes, for sure. And within the communities that know it, well, there's fishing clubs, pike angling clubs, there's tournaments and competitions, and you know, definitely the pike has grown uh, a bigger reputation and a better one, arguably, over the years, for sure. Whereas one time maybe it had that, you know, that what you described early on, that sort of uh, um, profile uh, for people in the head. But that has improved for sure. I like that whole idea of a fish being menacing. It, it, there's something that excites the imagination. Like, really. yeah, yeah, you made a good point there. So you don't know really what, what you want. You know, some people like to kind of fish for this, well, yeah, mysterious creature there, you know, that's supposed to feed on ducks and small dachshunds and you hear all these stories, you know, but um, I can definitely say I'm just coming back from uh, this media visit uh, in, in County Cavan and, and, and pike over there. I mean, pike is the fish, you know, it's, it's, it's really highly regarded. Uh, you go to a pub and there's a big pike in a 
no pike in a, in a in a case there, and it's all centered around pike fishing. So as 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 Tom Tom said, it's the area where you where you don't have that many pike. You know, the focus is on different fish. But um, talking a bit about my my background, you see, like like Bodo, I'm I'm from Germany, and in Germany, pike is regarded as probably the number one sport fish. We don't. You see, it's it's just the the kind of English terminology um, uh, dividing between coarse fish and game fish, which doesn't do really justice to the pike. You know, being a a coarse fish. Um, so um, it depends. You know, um, your background, like uh, in in Europe, northern Italy, for example. I mean, the Italians they are mad keen on pike, and they would give their their right arm for 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 catching a, a meter pike you know and they have the the nicest salmonid rivers and and marble trout waters and and yet they they are so keen to come to ireland to catch this pike on fly on most of the continent would you find that actually marcus on most of the continent particularly um particularly not northern europe but like mainland europe as such pike would be the probably the biggest sport fish wouldn't it I, I would agree so. Now, okay, we have sander, we have catfish, but I would say amongst all those predatory fish, um, pike is still the number one. Um, that's from what we, we hear and when we're talking to visiting anglers and, and definitely with regard to Germany, I would say. Yeah, I'd agree with Marcus on that too. I think it's the predatorial nature of the pike or the pike being the apex predator in many waters uh, in Ireland, certainly, and then also in Europe, if you leave out catfish, it's uh, that's what makes it so attractive. And the ferociousness, um, it's a toothy predator, so it has that, um, all those attributes. And also, of course, the size, that it can potentially grow very, very large, and that's what makes it so attractive. And, and going back to fly fishing, I suppose that's what makes that so attractive too, that you can, with fly tackle, um, obviously, you step it up a bit, but with fly tackle, you can catch uh, fish of considerable size, and that's uh, one of the. I think that's probably one of the biggest attributes to it in the fly fishing boat. Definitely, the fact that you know quite easily you can get a double figure fish on a fly rod. Yep, absolutely, yeah. and, that, and that, that's the thing. You do well to get a double figure salmon on the fly. Uh, Seriously, uh, yeah, I'm sure it, 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 it's been done, but I mean, um, yeah. You mentioned tackle. Let's let's get onto that just for people who are interested and wanted to find out a little bit more. Um, what's the kind of the kind of um, basic setup? Take us through it. Okay, well everybody has their own take on it, and it's interesting. And I, I see it in my uh, guiding job all the time, and it's interesting to see people people's different takes. And well, my personal opinion is as follows: I start with a ten weight rod. I know you can catch pike with lighter, but I wouldn't. Uh, I just start with a 10 weight because I just don't see the point going smaller. Casting big flies, A, B, tackling big fish. There's no need to over, having to overplay them or play them longer than you need to. doesn't do the fish any favor. So I, I would start with a 10 weight. And I wouldn't condemn anybody using bigger even. Not because you need to, but because you can. And uh, so 10 weight rod, nine foot long. Real isn't important because you don't really need a serious drag. You can play them by hand depending on uh, the state of your boat or bank, wherever you're standing. Like Obviously, line management is, is, is an important issue. And then you're down to lines, and obviously that dictates where you're fishing. 
in, in what depths you're fishing, what depths you want to fish, where do you want to be in the water column, where do you want to present your fly, which obviously is a, 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 an imitation of a fish in this case. And um, yeah, between the fly and the line, then you just have your leader, which we can uh, define a bit more. Going back to the line boat, I'll just ask you, what yep. would be your go-to line? What's your mo- Is it a floater or an intermediate? Probably at this stage, my go-to line is, yeah, it's between an intermediate or a sink three. Uh, right, either one of those three. I'd happily pick. And I'd, in many times of the year and on many occasions, I would, whatever is, is handy, I would fish either one of those all day long. If, you know, uh, confidence would remain pretty high if I had one of those in my hand. That goes not for every day and not for all circumstances, but for a hell of a lot of them. Right, and and let's say on the either end of that spectrum, would you use a floater much? I would use a floater, yes, occasionally in very shallow situations, right. either shallow bays or shallow, shallow spots or shallow lakes in itself. Um, if you, if obviously if the water depth is such, or if there's weed, heavy weed cover, and you want to be above that, that's an exciting uh, way to fish, and you definitely need a floater for that. Um, and then, and then, sure. would you use a, a sink five or sink a di seven? I would do in uh, certain uh, times, I would go down a bit deeper. And again, it's not always down to fishing extremely deep, but if you have large bulky flies or flies that are tied with buoyant materials such as bucktail or other synthetic fibers, um, just using a heavier line can just get those flies down, one level down as well. And that's often the key. But I don't want to sound like you have to be way down. If, if I was to give somebody advice, one of the main pieces would be don't fish too deep because it's much, much easier for a fish to see the fly above them than it is below them. Right, and that fair goes enough. for all types of fishing. Um, come here, Marcus, are you the same? Are you a 10 um, I, I would be similar to Bodo. Now, um, <clears throat> also with regard to the rod, a 9 or a 10 weight, I wouldn't go any anything less. Uh, definitely, I agree there with Bodo. In terms of the lines, like Bodo, we have fished over the years. We've tried out many, many lines from different manufacturers. And um, if I would have to recommend an all-around line, if you would only have to pick one line, I would go for a fast intermediate. It would probably cover most scenarios. Saying that, um, if there is room, if I'm not flow tubing, I would actually bring three rods completely fitted with uh, an intermediate, a sink three, and a fast sinker. I very seldomly fish floaters, even when I'm fishing surface flies such as gurglers or poppers, because I find you can fish a gurgler or a popper, even with sea bass fishing, I do it the same. I, I prefer the intermediate because it doesn't disturb the water that much. When you strip a floating line, there is a bit of friction on the water on the surface. And uh, it, it works perfectly. So um, I think the most important aspect of your tackle with regard to pike is actually the leader setup. Because um, a lot of people, you meet a lot of anglers and some come here with titanium uh, kind of traces or fluorocarbon or hard mono and it's it's and we have been probably like Bodo and all of us we have been through various stages and experimented and so at the moment 
my leader would be um, probably I, I don't like um, the, the, the coated steel so much because I think it, it kinks too easily. Saying that sometimes the kink can be a bit of an attraction, but I find with the coated steel, you may have to change your or you have to cut your and shorten your, 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 um, your leader after every fish. So stainless steel, I prefer at the moment. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a few brands out there. And the connection then between the steel and, and your, um, uh, your leader, um, it's just a, a simple Albright or Yucatan knot that's that simple, maybe, well, a foot of steel and then maybe one meter 25, one meter 50 of leader. And, and that's about it. So just to, just to go on that now, the top of your uh, your steel, let's say stainless steel or either coated yeah. um, trace, what is on that? Is it just a loop? No, um, I've, I've, tied, I've tied flies just uh, with a loop, kind of a rapala, rapala knot, something like this. But uh, more recently, I'm using these uh, spiral swivels, these fast touch ones or the quick change swivel. That's connected to the steel trace. Yes, with a, with a rapala, with a loop. So to give yeah. it a bit of a, you know, flexibility. So um, basically three, three knots. You do a perfection loop at, at the end, which you attach to your loop on your fly line. And then from uh, the, the, the leader material to your steel or wire, whatever you want to use, uh, an Albright or a Yucatan knot. I find the Yucatan easier because um, it's just an easier knot when you're in the water, in the flow tube, you don't want to, you know, you sometimes mm. with your fingers are cold and so on. And then just attach this um, snap swivel or quick change swivel with another uh, Rapala, Rapala knot. And, and that's about it. And, on, and, and the connection from the steel trace to the fly is? Uh, the, steel uh, the, the steel trace, that's, that's the... The, the, um... the, quick, the quick snap change. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Snap change. Yeah. Yes. Bodo, is your, is your setup similar? Quite similar, yeah. I would concur with Marcus there on most things. Um, I wouldn't even get bogged down in those because there's a lot of... A couple of them components are sort of down to preference, and I've seen a lot of different things work well so I would opt for any of them main thing is whatever your hard mono or fluorocarbon I use fluorocarbon as a leader no less than 25 pound strength uh, preferably even maybe more 30, 35 doesn't matter and like Marcus said 4 foot of that meter 20 or maybe 5 foot at max um, and then you steal leader onto that either by direct knotting it which can be done with knots, as Marcus described, or uni knot, or, or Albright knot, and or or you can have a little uh, one of those. You can get these little rings; they're almost invisible and add very little weight to the setup. Or you can opt for a very little swivel, uh, a small little one that doesn't add much weight. And then you have your steel leader again. I would go for wire. Um, and, and then on the business end of that, I would crimp on. I would. I don't mind using crimps if it's done well. And I would also use the fast touch clips that you can just twist your fly into very quickly. And you can do it with cold hands. You can do it at any stage. And there, I've never lost a fish with them. Whereas I've seen snaps of various 
brand and 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 builds fail on many occasions. So I'm I'm not condemning snaps, but there's good ones and bad ones. So the fast is a is a good way of attaching a fly for sure. Two things on that photo. Just the what's what what do you call the link to your fly? What are you calling it? A, a fast tack or fast touch uh, clip. It's just a, a wire, a piece of wire that has a, a an eye on one side that's solid and closed, where you, where, where the leader is attached oh, to, right, where you yeah. crimp it or tie it on. And yeah. the other end is is a an open twist option where you can really just a half turn and have your fly snapped into position and pretty secure. You, you you won't lose a fish with it. You have no problems with using crimps on on the traces. I have no problems with using crimps. No, it depends on uh, you know what. If it's very fine stuff, then you need to be careful, and it needs to be good quality, and it needs to be done neat. You have to go right crimping tool. Um, there's a lot of crap out there that you could accidentally blunder into, and 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 that it wouldn't be a, a nice job. But um, if you if you take care making traces, and if you use the right materials and tools, then it would be a good job. Marcus, we might just talk about flies then. Are, are people a bit wary and? Uh, about the, being able to cast such big flies as well. I was just going to ask you, how much time do we have left talking about <laughs> flies? Um, well, well, where shall I start? Um, yeah, it, it, I think what's important, particularly when you're a beginner, you don't want to fish a fly um, that, that gets too heavy. So you should avoid materials that, that actually uh, don't shed very well, you know, with, with water. So I would always say for a beginner... Uh, avoid furs and stuff like this, you know, or kind of, I've, I, I still have a few of these kind of sunker type, uh, uh, big sunker type flies with, with rabbit tails on it, but they, they can be very heavy or even very bulky flies. So artificial materials is the key, I think. Um, you still want to get your fly to turn over very well. Uh, you want to get a bit of a distance. So, yeah, I... I would say if you haven't done it, just practice it because it's different when you have fished with uh, tiny nymphs or, or, or dry flies all your life and five or six weights. And then you, you're handed a 10 weight with a, a, a 3.0 hook or whatever on it and, and a fly of 15 centimeters. It is different. You know, even your casting, your casting style has to be um I think adapted, you know, so uh, I, I would avoid over overhead casting like what you're probably taught when you're a beginner. So I would naturally cast always at an angle. Um, um, but uh, definitely um, get out there, uh, test it, try it, um, wear glasses and a cap because uh, a trio and debarbed hooks, that's, that's what I could recommend. In terms of flies, Patterns, my God, I mean, uh, hey, um, okay. If I would have to use three flies, I would definitely fish a fire tiger imitation. Okay, that would be one of my top three choices, all-round fly. Uh, probably a fly, a completely white fly. White, I think white works very well for most Predatory fish also in the sea. If if I would have only white material to tie, I would be very happy to go pike fishing or sea bass fishing. You know that's that's no problem. And then probably uh, some surface type fly. I I do like um, uh, the, the company Pike Trek used to 
bring these, uh, what are they called again? Stealths, these stealth flies on the market a few years ago. And uh, they, they, they fish uh, more, uh, not, not vertically, they are horizontally tied. And they are exceptionally good when you're fishing in very shallow waters with a lot of weed. So these would be my, my three to-go patterns. Probably a darker fly, a black-purple fly as well. Just, just go for, for contrasting colors. So white, fire tiger, and probably black-purple. And, and Broder, you, would you be similar? Um, in, terms of, in terms of flies, I'd be uh, quite similar to Marcus. What he said, there would be a, a nice uh, little box of flies. I'd be quite happy to bring that along with me as well in terms of color choices and, and the name patterns that you described, the Pike Trick Stealth is a, is a great fly and we use them too quite a lot and we've played around with all sorts of different flies over the over the last few years and some are, are better than others and uh, like, yeah, color choice is quite similar to Marcus. Um, you, you go a long way with that. I've, I've played around with a few colors of late and clients of mine have picked up on suggestions and they have got their own tires uh, onto different ideas that I had and it's nice to see Things work out well uh, on those uh, ideas, so that's that's something that's been happening over the last year or so. And like anybody who ties flies, I don't, by the way, too much. I tried a few and I caught fish on them, but I don't get bogged down in that. I don't have time for that. But other people do a far better job on that front than I do, so I let them do it. Um, well, you you, you yeah. let them do the tying. That's that's a that's a good move, Boda. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Yeah. No, I've tried it. I've tried it. I got the satisfaction out of it. That's as much as I need to do. <laughs> that's yeah. That's it. The, the, uh, the drug is the tug, isn't it? Or the tug is the drug. Uh, just when you're and you were saying it there, Marcus. The one thing that I noticed, and I, I think that's a really good tip. Uh, when I have tried it, is the, the first thing that got me when I was casting is that that articulated movement. You know, as your 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 line. Anybody who's used to, let's say, just fishing six weights and whatnot. You just cast out and everything goes as normal. But with that heavier fly, there's that second movement, right? And that can really throw you, really throw you. And I think that's a really good tip there about trying to stick with flies that are just synthetic materials, like flashaboo or something like that, rather than, yeah, the, the furs and stuff and anything that soaks water. And that just that just doubles that articulated motion, which is quite unnerving, actually, if you're when you're not used to it first. And yeah, really good on putting the, the rod to the side. Uh, another thing is, or you could chuck and duck. <laughs> just yeah. you know, just dr drop your head on the forward cast. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then what I wanted to ask then on the flies. So we've gone through the colors. Here's the thing, size. And, and not just, first of all, hook size. What, what is the best? And then, because the dressings can be different. Some of the dressings extend way beyond the actual hook yeah so what's your preferred like do you do you think that the smaller hooks hook the fish better first of all you what do you reckon guys no not necessarily i think one very important feature of a pie fly pike fly um for me are the eyes on the fly i i've i've mm -hmm. i've i fished without eyes and eyes and i've talked to other avid pike anglers and and they've all agreed that the eye for whatever reason is a big attraction so i would if there's yeah. if there's one element to to a fly when i'm tying it's just a nice decent eye 
Okay. Or, well, not just one. So two, two, of course, you know, on either side. In, in, in terms of size, again, I mean, it has to be manageable. I mean, uh, there's this fantastic flies out there and they look super and they, they are big and bulky, but you do a couple of casts and you just, I mean, you just don't enjoy it. And, and even if you're a good caster, you know, double hauling all the time. So it's, it's, it's tough. So, um, Difficult to say. It depends on your water. It depends on the bait fish in, in, in the water. It also depends on, on yeah, what, what fish are, are, are present there. Um, I would say 10 to 15 centimeters uh, uh, as a rule, you know, but it's the silhouette. And this is, again, I, I, I come back to these pike track uh, um, flies. Now, I do tie my, my own flies, but I also buy a few pike, pike flies because I think material wise, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's costly because a decent pike fly needs a lot of material. So it's, it's the silhouette. I mean, the, 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 the if, if you're using uh, synthetics, uh, you can actually um, kind of create a fly that has a nice big silhouette, but that is still light, you know, because particularly when the, fi- the, the pike attacks from below, uh, you want a, uh, a silhouette. You don't want something slim. You want something, hey, that looks mm, chunky. You know, okay, I go up for this and I, I, I attack it. So I think it's silhouette um, over bulk. Odo, what about tactics? Get out there and fish. Uh, do it as much as possible. Spend time on the water because that's <laughs> very that's good. Boils down to, um, <laughs> Secrets the out. Learn. Secrets out. Learn every day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to buy any more books, so. Sorry, go on. I time in the water teaches you the most lessons and the best lessons, and that's what it really boils down to. And anybody wishing to play with this, or anybody beginning in the be- beginning stages of it all, um, that's probably the best advice. And after that, then you get into the nitty-gritty of, you know, tactics and specific tactics. But um, what Marcus said about silhouette of the fly, that is one of my key points as well. Big profile flies, they don't have to be huge, but they have to appear to be sizable from uh, underwater, from below. And that's back to what we discussed earlier as well when I said about line densities and where you're fishing in the water column. Like I said, I'd sooner be a little bit higher than too far down. And and that fishing a fly that's highly visible uh, plays into that, and and that's a good approach to many many scenarios, and it'll get you fish for sure. It's interesting. So the kind of traditional thinking is, oh, you know, we're in October, November into the winter. Let's turn to pike fishing, but the reality is yeah. probably a bit different. Maybe like maybe let's just start with winter. Is that a good time for pike fishing? What you know, when is the best time? <laughs> Winter will be maybe it be an excellent time for pike fishing, but it's not an easy time necessarily, especially not for lure or fly fishing. But it can be done, and it can be done rewardingly. And you're obviously fishing for potentially very large fish in the winter and very heavy fish more so. Um, but yeah, in the winter you'll have to slow it down a bit. You'll have to maybe actually go a little bit lower in the water column than what I said originally. That's one of the times where. It, might be required to fish deep or to fish deeper than normal and slower um, and, and and adapt your retrieve to that. More pauses, a little bit longer pauses and, you know, different stripping patterns, nothing too erratic at that particular point in time. But every day is different and that still goes for an Irish winter because 
as you know, our winters aren't uh, set in stone in terms of weather. Like it could be nearly as mild as in July, and it can be completely freezing like anywhere else in Europe. So we don't know, and so you have to adapt to that. But yeah, in the winter, a bit more, a bit further down, and see how it goes. And Marcus, maybe you might just take us on yeah. to maybe the spring. Um, again, I'd like to refer to my last week. Uh, I was out with this journalist and it wasn't fly fishing. It was like any method because water levels were beyond imagination. I mean, two meters above normal. And we sometimes realized we were fishing on a meadow in amongst uh, um, barbed wire and not not in the, in the actual riverbed there. So, um, and I, 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 Fished with the fly. I just just thought, look, I'll I'll try the fly. And there was conventional tackle used. There was dead baits used, and everything. And um, I was starting with a with a sink three, and not a single touch. Nothing. Not that the others got got touches. It was difficult in general. But then I just changed them to a super fast sinking line and a very slow retrieve. And I picked up pike. Uh, in 10 meters depth, eight meters depth, 12 meters, you know, very slow, um, uh, which showed me that the fly can work uh, in winter. But I totally agree with Bodo um, for fly fishing in general, because you're usually fishing shallower water or during times where pike are more in the shallows than in the deep. Uh, the winter months can be tough. So from December, January, February, I would say with the fly, it's difficult unless you're fishing a water that isn't deep, um, where the pike can't can't really go into the deep. Um, but it was an eye-opener to me to cut a long story short. Um, the fly produced more fish all week than any of the other methods. And uh, that was a real eye-opener, I have to say. Um, then... Okay, in, in springtime, yeah, you're, you're fishing the shallows. I think it really depends on your water, on your home water. If you have a lake or a river, if it's a, if it's a shallow water or not, uh, you have to adapt. And uh, I think one, I, I don't like too many artificial and, uh, well, or let me put it like this, technology when I'm fishing. Uh, I'm not against uh technology but um when you see these new sonars that are on the market um and what can be done with them uh, it's not fishing you see you see your pike you see your lure and i think hey why bother at all you know <laughs> um now saying that i think a good old uh, echo sounder where you can see uh the the bathymetry of of a lake where you can see the the morphology the depth uh that would be one tool I would recommend um, for anyone who fishes for pike because it's not not to not to spot fish, but I think it's important to know okay where 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 does it get deeper and and uh, stuff like this because um, if you don't know your water, I think this is a great help. And Bodo, what's your favorite time of um, fishing? Where you're guiding, like where or sorry, what's the best time? Maybe I should say best time of the year. Um, it's a tricky one because they can all be really good. Like Marco said, even now they can it can be really good. And uh, now we can face very large fish potentially. But uh, yeah, I mean the spring has a large attraction and the post spawn bite, let's say as they call it, anything after spawning time, which usually happens around March and goes right into April potentially. Um, anything from mid-April onwards, May is great because you have 
you know, the weed starts to, to grow a bit quicker and higher and you have weed beds and, and places like that when you don't need to fish horribly deep. Um, fish are sitting reasonably, reasonably easily accessible. Yeah, that's that's a good time. May, June, April, May, June, second half of April, May, June, that's, that's a key time. But I don't want to really take away from any of the other times because they're equally important to me and they can be equally uh, good as well. I mean, we're just coming out of the autumn uh, time now and it's, it's been good and it has been extremely good on, on, on certain days. So it's just different fishing, really. Aren't, aren't we, uh, we're spoiled for choice, aren't we? Like, you know, because you're mentioning, you know, the months of April, May and of course, you know, trade anglers are thinking mayfly season, you know, the different yeah. hatches, salmon anglers are thinking of grills. And yeah, yeah, you throw pike into the mix as well. And it's like, and I think that's probably why so many fly anglers maybe just automatically in the wintertime turn to it, isn't it? Like That's probably it for the traditional trout and salmon angler. If you want to extend the season, then absolutely, yes, perfectly. So, I mean, seamless almost when the season uh, closes for, for salmonoid species in the end of September or mid-October. You can switch straight away onto pike, and you're you're right there in, in in the middle of it. And then as as we go to the late autumn and winter now, like Mark said, you just go down a bit lower and you fish a bit slower. But you have there's still there's still fantastic fishing to be had. And then you can continue to do so till they start spawning again, and and then maybe give them a break, you know. And then after that, whatever you want to do. Yeah, and don't forget now this is domestic market but when you think about the overseas market or the continental anglers there is closed seasons for pike and we don't have a closed season so that that's a big attraction as well for for visiting anglers you know in in i think no in germany uh correct me if i'm wrong Bodo, but i think um it's the the first of may before the first of may you're not allowed to target pike and uh look April, we know April can be over here fantastic, probably one of the best times to fly fish or fish for pike in general. So that's something to consider as well. Absolutely. And that plays into, into our hand as a destination uh, for sure. Guys, question I wanted to ask you and do you have to go from a boat or are there plenty of opportunities for guys? Let's say somebody's listening there and they go, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have, have a stab at this and they have the gear or they're going to get the gear. Uh, is it quite feasible, like, or do you really have to have a boat? Of course, I mean, you don't really have to have a boat, full stop. Now, saying that fishing, pike, fishing in general for pike uh, from a boat, uh, you, you have, I mean, it opens up so many more options. Now, you do limit yourself, definitely, when you're just trying to fish from the bank or wading in. Um, not so much that uh, you, you wouldn't reach the fish, cast, you know, you need to be out in the middle. It's excess. Most lakes are fringed by um, reeds, uh, no, all swampy ground. And um, I think it's excess more than uh, not being able to, to, to reach fish with the, with the fly rod if you're, if you're bank fishing. Now, a nice compromise. I, I met Keen on flow tubing. So um, they are, you get these devices now relatively cheap um, and they are reliable. And uh, yeah, it needs a bit of, yeah, well, uh, training to, to, to get the flippers on and, and know how this thing is moving. But it's not rocket science. And with the flow tube, I think uh, all, a myriad of probably untouched waters 
becomes accessible. And uh, I think it's a nice compromise. Uh, there's this can fish of kayaks, but I think float tube, even if you have to walk a bit, they, they pack up in a backpack, you bring a little pump and, and you pump it up and, and then off you go. I think that's a whole episode in itself. We should yeah. definitely do it a future <laughs> time. Yeah, I think it's it's a fascinating, like same with kayaking yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, Bodo and Marcus, uh, I'll start with you, Bodo. Um, I think it's fascinating. There's, we've two Germans here telling us about pike fishing in Ireland. I think, it, um, <laughs> but it, it, it correlates with, and that's why I'm fascinated, Bodo. Maybe you might just tell us your own background in Germany and was it because of the pike fishing in Ireland that led you over here, essentially? Yeah, it's a bit strange, all right, two Germans talking about it, but fascinating <laughs> is the word that you use and that's probably the reason like we probably both got fascinated by the by the country itself and uh, fishing on offer amongst many other things that drew us here um, yeah in my case certainly so like I'm from Berlin originally and I would have set foot on this island when I was 11 first time and kept coming back for more after that with my father at the time and later with friends and uh, just enjoyed it too much to, to not keep doing it and eventually I had to just move here which I did thankfully so 23 years ago and was it pr- primarily for the pike fishing Bodo? Uh, it was always part of it but it wasn't it was it was more a bigger choice it was a lifestyle choice too it was a uh, you know just I, I just preferred uh, life here potentially to city life in Berlin so that's in, in my case that's what to do but like if there was no fishing available here it wouldn't have happened either so yeah it was always part of it too you know from Berlin to Boyle. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Berlin to Boyle. It's, uh, it's, nice, yeah. it's been said many times, but I like it. <laughs> yeah. and, and Marcus, yourself? Yeah, well, uh, also quite similar uh, to Bodo. Um, I think the two of us are the best examples what, uh, you know, what Ireland uh, can offer. And and uh, um, it, it was the fishing in the first place. I mean, if, if I have to go back a bit in time, um, I, I actually um, spent a family holiday here in Ireland in 1980. And I hadn't a clue about fishing. I, I didn't know what the fishing rod looked like. And we happened to be with um, another family there. And uh, one of these guys was an angler and he says, if we go to Ireland, we need to bring the fishing rods. And uh, cut long story short, we had a self-catering place um, in, in Ireland and uh, out we went with the boat at the time, uh, wooden, wooden lake boat at the time. And uh, yeah, I was handed the tiniest rod, the tiniest little uh, um, kind of copper spoon. And I was the smallest on the boat. And again, cut a long story short, I ended up with the first fish, the most, and the biggest. And now guess what? They were they were <laughs> pike. And that hooked me, that hooked me for life. So that was in 1980. And after the holiday, came back to Germany, said, Oh, I this is great. I want to become an angler. Suddenly realized, sugar, I need to do an exam to fish. So um, which I did. And from there, it, it, it all developed. And then uh, just fishing holidays, not specifically for pike, studying over here. And then, you know, just being at the right place at the right time. And, and now I'm actually in the very lucky situation that um, I can actually help to promote Ireland as one of the best angling 
sustainable angling destinations in the world. You know, for me, a dream has come true and uh, my heart is with it. And like Bodo, I couldn't see myself uh, uh, going back to Germany, definitely not in the near future. No, I'm not from a city background. I'm from a rural background. So I fit very well into the, the Bucklands of Northwest Mayo. Um, <laughs> but no, hey, um, love it, love at first sight, I would say. Just before we go to the final question, sir, I just want to just rewind there a little bit uh, because people mightn't be aware of this. When you said you had to do an exam to be able to fish, <laughs> just tell yeah. people about that. Like. Yeah, I think Germany and, and probably Switzerland are the only two countries I know of in the world where you actually have to uh, do a course and you have to demonstrate that uh, you have, uh, well, knowledge, skills. So it's a kind of... Uh, theory it's kind of like a, a driving test you have so many questions you get a book and it's multiple choice then and it's over a few weekends so you have this theory part you have to pass this one and it would cover any aspects from gear species biology legislation name it and then you also have to do a, a practical um uh, test now it varies from county to county a little but the practical test would include uh, casting. You have to demonstrate that you're accurate and so on. And in some counties, I think we even have to uh, demonstrate that you know something about fish biology. So, um, yeah, quite comprehensive. And that's, again, one of the questions that, that we are getting asked when we are dealing with um, visiting anglers at, at, at expositions or over the phone and so on. They say, oh, do I need to bring my German angling certificates? And I says, no, 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 it's all free here. You just, pike fishing is generally free in most waters. So you just come and you don't need your, your German certificate. So it's something that uh, probably we here in Ireland or Irish anglers don't, don't realize that uh, everyone can go and fish here, you know. I have a funny feeling that the exam would not take off in Ireland, Tom, with Irish anglers. <laughs> yeah, it might be a, a slight uh, reluctance. It would make the rod wars look tame yeah, by comparison, yeah. I'd, I'd yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't mind for sure everybody get an A plus anyway. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Oh, it'll be 100% all around. I tell you yeah. what, sometimes here in May time, when I see some of the, the boats been driven, I yearn for an exam. Yeah. <laughs> well, don't, don't get me wrong. Um, I think there is nothing wrong with demonstrating that you have the skills, you know, I mean, and it helps. I mean, you really get into it. Uh, if you're not really genuine about it, you won't go through. I don't know how many questions at my time, which goes back oh many years. It was five, six hundred questions, you know, so it's it's, wow. it's and you learn you learn quite a bit as well. Uh, I think you're aware we ask everybody that comes on the show what their most memorable fish on the fly was. So, Bodo, uh, go to start with you. Your most memorable fish on the fly. Well, there's so many, it's difficult to pick, really. But um, one of the most memorable fish must be the first, probably the first meter pike on the fly, which I can't recall exactly which year, but I know where it was and how it happened. And uh, it was quite um, enjoyable, to be honest. I was over the moon with it. And... Uh, it wasn't that long after starting fly fishing for pike to get one, and but it just, you know, it fascinated me more. That's kind of like the, what should I say? It's like, like in America, the twenty twenty or whatever. But the, it's it's the meter long pike, isn't it? And to get one on the yeah. fly, yeah. 
a meter long pike is the goal for 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 many continental uh, anglers, I guess. Um, over here, it's more weight driven, but yeah, a meter fish is a decent fish um, in terms of weight. That's at least a, a mid mid double uh, at the very least. Usually, you know, apart from any extremes. Uh, and it could be even a 20-pounder at that stage, you know, depending on how well the fish is fed. What do you reckon he would have been? High double, 18, 19-pound or something at the time. It was a nice fish, really nice fish, metre three or something like that. I think I measured him. And, uh, yeah, it was highly enjoyable. I was able to share with a friend uh, the experience, and it was fantastic, yeah. Did you know it when you hit him that he was a good one? I did. I did yeah. because uh, it exploded pretty much after I hit it. So yeah, it showed itself quite early on. So it was exciting, exciting to say the least. And over to you, Marcus. Yeah, if you would have asked the most memorable fish, it would definitely be that that first pike, the first fish in my life, uh, forty-two years ago in Ireland. But on the fly. Um, it's difficult. I mean, there's there's loads of, of memories. It could be a, a small gudgeon that picks up your nymph when you're trying to fish for grayling or something like this, or an exotic species, the tiger fish on the Zambezi. But I think uh, it's my, and I, I, I have to say this, this is a pike, a pike uh, um, uh, Thing here, but it's probably my first, my first ever salmon caught on the Onmo River in uh, in Bangor Aries in County Mayo. You know, in a fly angler's life, this is a milestone when you catch your first salmon, and your first salmon is on the fly. It's like, and after having lost your potentially first fish on your birthday, and then a couple of days later, <laughs> no rain, no rain, low water, almost no chances, and the last day of your trip, you you end up hooking this fish and it was a tiny little grills, but look, I, I, I didn't care. That's probably my most memorable one. Excellent. Well, we actually have, there have been a couple of exceptions here of guys having their memorable fish has not been caught on the fly. And I can actually can understand mm. you there with your first ever fish. Yeah. How that, um, how that had stick in your mind, but you know, something special about first salmon on a fly too. So yeah. yeah. So that, uh, actually, all three are great, lads. Yeah. <laughs> well, done. well, Marcus and Bodo, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Um, I love getting the insights in terms of kind of, you know, the the, the tactics, the, the setup, the technical side of it for pike fishing. I think we're getting out of this is really, is, you know, the kind of growing side of that as a sport. Uh, and maybe in Ireland, why we, you know, hopefully start to appreciate it a bit more, I think, uh, within the fly angling community. Um, and as they say, a dog is not just for Christmas. Pike fishing is not just for Christmas either. You know, you try and get out during the year. Um, Bodo, before we let you go, just for people that they are interested in fly fishing for pike, um, where do, where you guide? Uh, what's the, the website? How can they get, find out more, Bodo? They can, uh, I'd be happy to contact me. They can look up my website, uh, anglingservicesireland.com or to find me on, on social media, Bodo Funke or Angling Services Ireland again. Um, I'd be delighted to give somebody advice or to bring somebody out even better still. Bodo, Marcus, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Our thanks to Marcus Muller and Bodo Funke for joining us on the show. And don't forget to rate, review and follow the Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Plus you can keep up to date on IrelandOnTheFly.com as well as on Instagram and myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland.